Amen. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Jesus, for raising from the dead. Happy Easter. And uh, amen. Amen. So glad you're able to be with us. Those of you joining us online, welcome. Uh, I'm excited today to just share a story with you. And my story really starts with a question. And it's simply this. Have you ever been thirsty before? Now, I'm not talking about a physical thirst. I'm talking about a soul thirst. A deep down craving inside that longs to be satisfied. And when I talk about that, that really described my life before I came to know Jesus Christ. And it didn't just describe my life, it drove my life. Because my life was spent looking for things that this world had to offer to try to satisfy this deep craving in my soul that I didn't know how to identify it. All I know is there's something missing, there's something I'm looking for, and I'm trying everything that the world has to offer to satisfy it. And at best, there'd be a temporary satisfaction or would come up empty. The words that Jesus said really connect with me and really communicate my story is Jesus said this, everyone who drinks of this water, let me tell you by the way who he was speaking to when he said this, this is known as the woman at the well. She had been married five times already and now was living with another man. So it was a six man she was with. It looks like trying to find satisfaction and a man didn't work for her. And now she was at the well, and Jesus met her there, and he, and he said this to her, everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. That summarizes my story because this was my story. I was drinking of the water that the world offered and I was thirsting again and again. And every time that thirst would come back stronger because this didn't satisfy and that didn't satisfy and this didn't satisfy. And I would constantly come back because my thirst was returning. But when I came to know Jesus, guess what? He gave me some water that made me Never thirst again, because you know why? And this is true of every person that comes to Jesus. He doesn't just give us a drink of water. He gives us a well of water that springs up to eternal life. And when Jesus gives you a drink, he doesn't just give you a drink of water. He places a well with inside of you that will spring up with water even until eternal life. And that's my story this morning that I want to share with you, is how Jesus gave me not just a drink, but he placed a well of living water within me so that I wouldn't have to thirst again. You know, I grew up in a good family um, and basically was going to church as a young boy and had a basic belief that if I was a Catholic, and if I was a good boy and good man as I grew up, then I would go to heaven. Now, there was a problem here. I was not a good Catholic. 
Only showed up once in a while. In fact, I was an altar boy. I was an altar boy, and they kicked me out of being an altar boy because I was so bad. So that's why I became a Protestant minister. They're the only ones that would accept me. But uh, so it kind of shows you, you know, even as a little kid, man, I was getting, I couldn't even be an altar boy. I got kicked out for, for being a bad kid. And, and so I didn't live a really good life as time went on. And things really broke loose when I went to college. Because before that, I think my parents saw trouble was coming. And they had restraints upon me. I couldn't go places where my other friends went. I couldn't buy the kind of clothes they bought. And, you know, they, they just, they really held a, a close knit uh, restraint over me. And I think they were wise in that because when I went to college and when those restraints were removed, I mean, um, my life just went crazy. I partied and I partied hardy. I started with beer and then I started with more beer and that wasn't enough so I graduated to wine and wine wasn't enough so I went on to whiskey and vodka and gin and all the hard drinks I could find and then I experimented with marijuana and marijuana wasn't enough to, to satisfy what was going on so I moved on to hash. Hash didn't work so I tried mescaline. Mescaline didn't do it. So I went on to acid. And so I tried all these different things that became a part of my life while I was in college. And I mixed them together. I took them individually. And that still wasn't enough. So I needed, a, maybe status would help me. So I said, I'm going to start pushing drugs. So Pat became a very important person on that small junior college campus that he was at because not only was he cool because he did this stuff, but man, he's the guy you got to go to to get the stuff. I remember one night being at a party. I was tripping on acid and I ran into another guy in this party. And I, remember, I, I can see it in my mind. We were standing in the hallway and we were talking and I come to find that this man was on the same search that I was on. We both were looking for something, but we didn't know what we were looking for. And we talked about, we felt like, you know, if we're at a party here on the south side, there must be a party on the north side. If I was there, then I would be okay. And if I'm with this person, maybe if I was with this different person, then I would be okay. Um, transferred after my first two years of junior college of just deep emptiness and trying to find life and all kinds of things. And I transferred to Western Illinois University. I was placed on a floor and kitty corner from my room was a, name, a guy named Greg. Greg was a very handsome man. Greg was a star on the baseball team. Uh, Greg was a quality guy and he had a gorgeous girlfriend who was a quality woman. And I kind of thought if I just had a girl like Greg's. Then I know life would be good. Well, come, it was out one night, and uh, Greg and I were out drinking and talking, and Greg told me that he broke up with his girlfriend that day. And I was stunned. I really, I thought, you gotta be kidding me. Here, here's the kind of woman that I thought, if I just had a woman like this, then life would be good, then I would be okay, things would be great. So I said, Greg, why did you break up with her? He said, Pat, I couldn't have peace of mind if I didn't. 
I said, what? What do you mean peace of mind? What, what, what's that? And I remember he said this, peace is this knowing that you're in the right place with the right people doing the right thing at the right time. And it hit me like a sledgehammer because Greg just identified the search that I'd been on that I didn't know what it was. That I was looking for peace. I wanted to feel, feel okay. I always felt I was in the wrong place with the wrong people doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. And Greg identified for me what I was searching for. I was looking for peace. Well, not long after that, I was out at what is called a kegger by Lake Argyle, uh, Western Illinois was that. Uh, we used to get kegs of beer and just a bunch of people go out there and party. And I remember I got sl uh, sloppily drunk. I, that's just the kind of person I was. Uh, and um, I remember after the party driving home and there were five other people in the car and I was going fast because the streets are wavy there. And I slammed into a tree with the side of my car and the car literally did a complete flip in the air and came down. And by God's grace, I'm gonna say it was God's grace right then, nobody was injured. A couple bumps and bruises. I could have killed somebody. Could have killed myself, but even worse, could have killed somebody else. And it shook me deeply. It sobered me up. I quit drinking at that moment. And my soul was, was so bothered. I said, you know, Pat, there is something wrong with you. You, there, you know, something deep in here doesn't feel right. And you're trying all kinds of things where you're only hurting yourself and you're hurting other people. And so what I did is I went back to my roots. Go back to church. <laughs> try to be a good person. And I had the same problem I had when I tried that younger because I was not a very religious person. So church lasted for six weeks. Trying to be a good person and not drink lasted about six weeks. And after about six weeks, I was back to the same old stuff again. I remember hearing about a counselor that was on campus that had, you know, just a lot of people raved at how helpful he was. And I remember going to this counselor and while he never provided the peace I was looking for, what he did provide for me was a, a, just a deeper affirmation that, Pat, something isn't right in here. Something is wrong, and you're going about it all the wrong ways to find a solution. Well, that year became a downward spin in my life as I was, I was deep in trouble in here and looking for all kinds of things that wouldn't satisfy or give me the peace. And at the end of that year, I decided to quit uh, school. I'd finished my junior year of college. And uh, I remember going up to Michigan to visit some friends. You see, I, every summer when I was in school, I worked in Michigan for the summer. So I, I built a, a good base of friends up there. It was also a place where I really helped destroy myself with a lot of drinking and drugs and pushing. But you know, that's what I did in the summers as well as in school. And so as I was up there, I remember I, I went to a bar. I drove up to see my friends. I was sitting at a bar, Blue Star Highway. Some of you may be familiar with that. I think the name of the bar was Blue Star Bar that I was in. I, I can't remember. 
But this, what I do remember very clearly is this. Sitting at the bar up there, you know, the bartender's there, here's the big bar. You got booths over here. And we're sitting at the bar and there was a guy who was about 50 years old that was sitting next to me. And we're drinking and this guy's telling me dirty jokes, just one after another. And I looked over into the booth and I happened to know the four people that were sitting in the booth over there. There were two men and two women. They were all married, but they weren't married to each other. And after a little bit of drinking and laughing and talking, they all got up and left together and got in the car and went someplace. I thought, wow, that's weird. You know, we're their mates. What's going on here? And for the first time in my life, God spoke to me. He spoke to me in a bar. As I remember, it, 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 you know, I, I still hear that voice. And it's like, it's like God said, Pat, take a look around. Is this what you want to do with your life? And I remember, I, I mean, I was like, wow, this isn't what I want with my life. I don't want to be a guy who's 50 years old, who's still sitting in the bar telling kids dirty jokes. And I certainly didn't want to have a marriage where either me or my wife were out messing with other people. And I was shaken. I was deeply shaken by that. I was like, I just saw my future and I saw where I'm heading with the life that I'm in. And I I haven't been able to fix this. I'm in trouble. I only knew one thing to do. And that was to enlist in the Marines because if anybody can fix you, it's the Marines. So literally, the day after this experience in the bar, I got up the next morning. I drove home from Michigan that afternoon. I went over to Oak Lawn to the recruiter and enlisted in the Marine Corps because I knew I needed help and I thought only they could do it. Well, when I got into the Marines, it really did help. (laughs) I mean, the first three months there, I was removed from all of my friends that could influence me in a negative way. I was removed from all the substances of alcohol and drugs that I could tap into. And I had a drill instructor that stood over me 24 hours, seven days a week for three months. You know, like now, I was pleasingly plump back then. And I literally had a drill instructor that even walked with me down the food aisle and told me what I could eat and what I couldn't eat. That's how much control there was over my life. And after three months, I was starting to feel good. I slimmed down. I lost about 40 pounds. I was feeling good because I hadn't been involved in all those things. My head was getting a little bit straight. And and it was just awesome. I thought, this is it. This is the answer. Well, I got out of boot camp. And guess what happened? Those restraints that were over me. The drill instructor was gone. Now I'm on my own. There's people out there who can also influence me in negative ways, the way I influenced others in negative ways. All the substances, all the drugs, and all the drinking I wanted were again available to me. And what do you think happened? That's where I went. I went back to where I was. Again, church and being good lasted about six weeks. Military lasted three months. But here I am again, struggling, and uh, drinking, and my life is starting to go down the same direction, and I started having nightmares of a bad trip that I had a a few years before. 
it, it was horrific. The, the bad trip was horrific. It was scary. And I was starting to have flashbacks of that bad trip. It frightened me. My days were full of fear and my nights were full of nightmares. And um, I knew I was in trouble. I went over and saw a counselor. Uh, they actually did two things. One is they put me on tranquilizers right away. They said, this guy's in trouble. And secondly, they took my gun away. I think they did it for two persons. They didn't trust me with a gun in the military, but also they probably took it away for protection of myself. So they took my gun away and put me on tranquilizers. And um, I, I was walking through the start of my military time like this. About a month later, a chaplain came in to visit with our unit. And I remember the chaplain sh uh, sharing with us about the fact that he's here to help us and he's available anytime we would need that help. And so I remember right after he was with us, I went up to the chaplain and I said, hey, I'm in trouble, man. I really need help. And he assured me he could help me and he'd be available for me whenever I need it. And so I left there with a sense of security. Whew. Somebody can help and they're gonna be there for me. Well, about a week later, I had a real bad day. And I decided I'm gonna go over to the chaplain's office and that, um, you know, that he said he could help me. I got over to the office and he wasn't there. So I was talking to the secretary there at the chaplain's office and um, told her what was going on. I said, this guy said he could help. I said, well, he's not in. He said, hey, we can call anytime he'd be there. So I, would you mind calling? So she called him up and he was not available to come in. And my heart sunk. My last hope, again, here, here's somebody that can have another, another possible help. And, and I get it, people aren't always available, so I'm not faulting this guy, but that was a reality, and, and so my heart just dropped. And I asked the woman, would you please call the drug rehab center on base and have them come over and get me? So she called up the rehab center, and uh, they said it'd be a little while, but they're gonna send a Jeep over to pick me up and take me into the rehab center. So I was sitting there by the door in the chair waiting for the Jeep. And another chaplain walked in. And he went over to the secretary and said, hey, what's this guy doing? And what was the story here? And she kind of told him what was going on. And he came over to me and said, um, if you want, I'd be glad to speak to you. And I said, I would love that. I remember going back in his room there in the office and, and talking with this chaplain and sharing my heart and my life and my story and what's going on and what a mess it was. And he offered me something that was very different than the other chaplain. He didn't offer himself to me. He didn't offer his help and he didn't offer his availability, but what he did offer to me was Jesus and his help in his availability to be with me. And he told me story after story of other people on the base that had struggled with drinking or with drugs and how Jesus had helped them. And he told me this wasn't dependent upon you, Pat, trying to fix yourself up like you've been trying to do all these times and all these years and, and taking this problem and trying all these things, you just got to get the right answer and find the right thing and do the right stuff and be religious enough, good enough, moral enough, smart enough. 
But he said, this is dependent upon Jesus and what he did for you and what he will do for you. And so he definitely had my interest. He began to talk to me about sin and how sin had separated me from God. And, you know, my, my thinking of sin was this. You know, maybe you're like me. Sin is always somebody who's a little bit worse than you. <laughs> so I kind of thought, so the people on the 10 o'clock news are sinners. Not people, you know, I kind of did a lot of bad things, but I'm not that bad. And so I, I thought I was okay. So here's your average person. Here's Pat. Here's the 10 o'clock news. So I thought I'm okay. He said, Pat, you're comparing with all the wrong people. He said, the standard before God is Jesus Christ, the sinless one. He's a holy God. And to come into relationship with him, sin is standing between us. And now all of a sudden I understood that I'm a sinner, not because I'm the worst person in the world, but because I'm not as good as Jesus. And I fall short of the standard that God has set. And then he told me about Jesus and how Jesus went to the cross and how God had placed upon Jesus my sins and the sins of the whole world. And how Jesus, when he died, he died to pay the penalty for my sins. And then three days later, he rose from the dead to offer a brand new life. And I, as I listened to this, I was like, I never heard this before. And, and he, he turned, he opened the Bible, and it was Revelation 3.20, and he said this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He said, Jesus is knocking at your heart. And if you hear his voice, which I believe I heard in the bar, heard his voice speaking to me, and if you open the door, he'll come in and dine with you. And, and that's what he was talking about. Jesus is offering to come into your life and to walk with you and be with you to work through these difficulties you have in your life. And then he pointed to a picture on the wall. And I found this picture, same picture. It was a picture of Jesus knocking on a door. And he said, do you notice a handle on that door? And I said, no, I don't. He said, because the handle's on the inside. He said, Jesus wants to come into your life, but you have to open the door. He said, Pat, do you want to open the door to let Jesus into your life? And I said, you know, I need just a few minutes. I said, this is a lot of new stuff. Can you give me just a few minutes to process what I heard? And there was a room next to his. He let me go in. I went into that room, and I remember for the first time in my life, I didn't recite an Art Father, a Hail Mary, or an Act of Contrition. All I knew were recited prayers up to that point. But I remember getting on my knees and crying out to God. I said, God, I don't know if this is some kind of weird religion or something. All I know is I need you. And I heard the same voice that I heard in the bar for the second time in my life speaking to my heart, saying, Pat, this is the way you can walk in it. 
I knew that God just spoke to my heart. I called upon him. He told me this is the way I can trust Jesus. I went back in that room and I told that chaplain, I said, I want to trust Jesus. And he said, you know what, Pat? When you trust Jesus, the great gift that he gives you is he comes into your life. He lives inside you. This is what the, the resurrection's all about, the new life, the eternal life, that well that springs up living water. He comes in when you put your trust in him. And so he led me in a prayer, and I, I kind of summarized the heart of that prayer right here of what I, what I prayed could you pull it up for the big screen just on the words? I want to make sure people can see that. Thank you. I want to get that a little bigger. God, I know that I'm a sinner. Thank you that Jesus Christ paid the price for my sin and offers me a brand new life. Right now, I transfer my trust from anything I can do and put it all in what Jesus did for me. Right now, I invite Jesus Christ to come into my life. And in that moment, when I got done with that prayer, instantly, in the core of my being, I found the peace that I've been looking for. For the first time, I knew I was in the right place with the right people doing the right thing at the right time, that thing that Greg had talked about, that peace that I had so long looked for, all of a sudden it was filling my heart. That well of water springing up within me was inside now my life as Jesus came to live inside of me. In John chapter seven, he said this, Jesus describing this. If any man is thirsty, let him come to me. I was thirsty. I was going to everything the world had to offer to try to find the quench of my thirst. Jesus said, if you're thirsty and your soul's thirsty, and that's what he's referring to here, let him come to me and drink. Because he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Brothers and sisters, that well that springs up to life, that river of living water now was living inside of me. And that thirst that I was looking for was quenched. And Jesus filled it with himself. And instantly I felt clean. You know, and, and that's big for me because you know what? Like I said, I didn't really live that good of a life. And I kind of felt dirty and unworthy inside because you know my life was spent hurting myself and hurting others, doing all the wrong things. And there was a sense deep inside that I, you know, my conscience wasn't clear and I felt dirty, but instantly I felt clean. And I was joy. You know what, there, there was a sense inside, life is good, I was so grateful, I was so happy. There was something deep inside going on. My soul felt like I had a 2,000 2000 pound backpack on my soul. It felt heavy, it felt burdened. And all of a sudden, it's like somebody cut the backpack off and instantly I felt light and free in my soul. And so not only did I find Jesus, I found a clean heart. I found joy. I found lightness. 
I found freedom. And these are things that God gave me instantly, and by God's grace, those are things that have continued with me. It wasn't like a thirst that the world offers that gives me temporary relief. It's an abiding, ongoing, because Jesus is continually abiding to live inside of me and those of you that have trusted him. And you know what? There's other things that Jesus had to work on. There's other things he's still working on, and there's more he's still going to work on. And um, I was plenty a mess. <laughs> I'm in no way saying, hey, I got fixed, no more problems, life was all whatever. But those core things at the core of my being were settled by Jesus that day when I trusted in him. And he's been walking with me and dining with me and living in me and working in me and constantly freeing me from the things that have been destroying my life. And maybe, maybe you're here today or maybe you're listening online and you're saying, you know what, Pat? I've been on a search, not even sure what it is. Maybe it's the same search I was on for peace. Maybe it's a different search, but you know there's something down here that's not right. It's not satisfied. There's an uneasiness. You don't feel okay, and you're trying everything the world has to try to satisfy that. Or maybe you have a conscience where you feel a lot of guilt and shame and dirty because of the way you've lived your life, and you need that cleanliness Maybe you need that joy where all of a sudden you're grateful for the great gifts God has given you rather than complaining about everything you don't have. Maybe you are carrying a heavy burden like I was. Maybe you feel like you got that backpack on your soul and the weight of it is just crushing you and you got burdens that are so heavy you just can't carry. Or maybe you need to be free from addictions from habits, from hurts, from hangups, from things that are enslaving you in your life. I don't know where you're at today. Maybe it's something totally different. Maybe like me, you've been trying religion. Maybe you tried to just be a good person. Maybe you tried to be more moral and do more good things. I don't know what it is, but Jesus said, if you're thirsty, come to me. Jesus has got the water that satisfies and you'll never thirst again with that water. And that's the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we celebrate Easter Sunday. Not just because of the historical resurrection of Jesus, which absolutely did happen, and which we are so grateful for, but it's also the implications of what that means for you and me in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, without the resurrection, this is the best we'd know about Jesus. He was a miracle-working man who was executed for claiming to be God and King and Savior of the world. And without the resurrection, that's where the story ends. But three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead. Listen to what Acts chapter 2 says. I love the way Peter said this in a sermon. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. He's talking to the people that walked and saw these things Jesus did. This man 
delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and you put him to death. That's Good Friday. But listen to the next verse, but. The most important but that has ever been written in any piece of literature throughout the history of time. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death. Praise God for that. Death has been swallowed up in Jesus. And then this is what I love, since it is impossible for him to be held in death's power. Don't you love that? Jesus was raised from the dead because he is God. And guess what? It's impossible for death to hold Jesus in its power. And Jesus is one of the great gifts he gives to us is he gives us that resurrection so that we know that when we die physically, we will be raised up to live forever in eternity with God. And by the resurrection of Jesus, he proved in the most powerful way, not only that he's God, not only he's the king that, that God had sent to rule over the whole world, not, over, not only that he's the savior of the world, but also that he's the judge of all mankind and that every person, every person in this room, every person online, every person in the world is gonna stand before Jesus someday and give an account for what they did with him in his claims. You know, sin is our problem. But I don't think sin is what sends us to hell. It's rejecting Jesus and his offer because Jesus paid for the sin. And God in his love sent Jesus to pay for my sins and your sins. And the big thing here is will I accept what Jesus did for me when he died on the cross to pay for my sins and rose from the dead. Because at judgment day, what they're gonna open up is a book called the book of life and all he's gonna look at is, is your name in the book of life. And he's gonna look and say, if you trust Jesus for what he did for you, then your name will be in the book of life. If you didn't, then it won't be there. So this resurrection of Jesus Judge, God, Savior, and maybe most important to us, the author of life. He's the author of life, resurrected life. John 3, uh, when Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. The resurrection is the basis of us today, of me back in that office, being born again at the core of my being where where God gave me brand new life because the life of Jesus came into me to give me eternal life. And he is the author of life. Listen to what 1 Peter chapter 1 says about the resurrection. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's the resurrection that is the basis of the new life that we have in Jesus where we're born again and we have a hope now, not only a hope in this world to live a life that your thirst can be quenched 
and you have Jesus walking you through as your own personal counsel and shepherd, but a hope that goes beyond the grave that even when I die, I'll be raised up to live eternity with God. And this is what Jesus said in John 3.16. Speaking to Nicodemus, Nicodemus was the, known as the greatest teacher in Israel at that time. And he came to Jesus, Jesus, I don't understand what you're talking about. That's when Jesus said to him, you must be born again. Nobody can enter or see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And Jesus, later on in that discussion, said this, for God so loved the world. And let me encourage you, put in your name there. For God so loved you, Bill, Sue, Terry, Bob, you know, fill in the blank. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave Jesus to pay our price. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God is offering to every person in the world, and it came out of not only his love, but he so loved you and me, and he saw our plight with sin, and he saw the fact that we look to try to fill all this stuff up with the things that the world has that can never satisfy, and because of his love, he sent his son to pay for our sins so that whoever, whoever, whoever trust in him, relies upon him, believes that he is the son of God, believes that he is in the son of God, we learn in scripture means that he's equal with God, he's God himself, that he is the savior of the world, he came to be God's king. Whoever believes and relies upon Jesus, God will give him eternal life as a gift. So let me ask you this. Do you hear that voice speaking to you today? That same voice that spoke to me, first in a bar and then at Camp Pendleton? A voice saying inside, and maybe like he did to me, he called me by name. And maybe he's calling you by name today saying, you know what that guy's saying is right. That's what the Spirit of God says. You know what he's saying is what you need. Today's the day of salvation. Don't put it off. If God is speaking to your heart this morning, don't reject that voice. Don't reject Jesus and what he's done for you. Transfer your trust from anything and everything you can do to Jesus and what he did for you when he died to pay for your sins and my sins and when he rose again to give us a brand new life, a life that will quench the deepest thirst of our soul in this world and a life that goes beyond the grave into eternity. And I want to give you a chance this morning, if you sense God speaking to you in that respect, I've got a prayer here that, again, pretty much what I prayed. And again, get the words up on the screen, not me. I want to make sure that that's big enough for everybody to see. Thank you. And if this is your heart, I'd encourage you this isn't about reciting a prayer. Like I said, that day in that room, my first time I talked to God, I wasn't reciting a prayer. I want to encourage you to talk to God. Talk to God. 
and tell him, God, I know that I'm a sinner. Do that right now, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm not as good as Jesus. Might be better than others, but I'm not that good. Thank you that Jesus Christ paid the price for my sins and rose from the dead to offer me a brand new life. Would you do that? Acknowledge your sin. Thank him right now that Jesus died to pay for your sins, not the sins of the world, for your sins. He rose again to give you a brand new life. So right now, would you transfer your trust? Would you say, God, I'm done. I renounce anything I can do myself to try to be made right with you, and I put all my trust in Jesus and what he did for me. And right now, Lord, I welcome Jesus to come into my life and to quench the deepest things in my soul, to walk with me, to guide me in this world, and to give me eternal life. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I encourage you, talk to somebody who brought you, invited you, contact the officer. I want to talk to that guy who was speaking. I want to know more about this Send us an email, give us a call. You can find the information on the website. If you say, I still got more questions, we want to help you because we exist to help people in their relationship with Jesus because there's nothing more important in this world or the next. And that's to settle our relationship with Jesus. So thanks for letting me tell my story this morning. And I am so grateful to God that he saved me from a life of emptiness and searching in things that can't satisfy. And it brought me to Jesus so that now I got a well of water springing up that not only is satisfying me in this world, but in the one to come. So Father, I wanna pray right now and just thank you for Jesus. I wanna thank you that he became our substitute on the cross. Father, I want to thank you that he paid the price of my sins and the sins of all the world and the sins of each person listening. Jesus, thank you for taking what we deserved. Lord, sin deserves death. And Jesus, you took our place and I want to say thank you for that. Thank you, Father, for raising him from the dead Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for giving us Jesus by his spirit to live inside of us, to shepherd us, to counsel us, to walk with us, to pour your life into us. Lord, I want to thank you for the new life you've given to us in Jesus. And Father, I want to pray for those listening in today who don't know him. Father, I pray that you would speak to them like you spoke to me in the bar and on, the, on Camp Pendleton, Lord, where they hear your voice calling them to put their trust in Jesus. It's in his name I pray, amen.